Well, hey, folks, uh, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. A little bit of what is coming up here uh, later on in the show for our inbox. We have a girl who broke up with her boyfriend after realizing they had some pretty serious theological disagreements with each other. And now she's kind of wondering, should I even be attending uh, this church? Uh, This is the one that we've attended together. And so our friend, Pastor Mark Bates, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, author and speaker Rhonda Stoppy joins us to share some insights on dating well as a Christian. So she has been married now for over 40 years. She has a lot of insight through mentoring young women as to how to go about this uh, in a in a reasonable and God-honoring way. So you don't want to miss it. All right, here we are for our roundtable, and we are picking up from a conversation we started last week on true repentance. What is true repentance? What does it look like in everyday life? And so I get to welcome back Tim Sanford and Mark Bates. Hey, y'all. Good to be here again. Good to have you. Okay, well, we talked last week a lot about just like what is repentance? What does the Bible say about repentance? Um, What, you know, some of the practicalities of it, uh, the difference between struggling with sin versus sinning or being in repeated patterns of sin. I want to talk a little bit and just kick off this conversation with um, the idea of we hear Uh, For example, that uh, someone who is in church leadership, you know, in scripture, it talks about this concept of being above reproach. And many of us would just say being above reproach is just you need to look good. You need to be doing the right things. You're perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Those of us who have grown up in the proverbial Christian bubble know what it means to perform and to be the good person. And, you know, I remember hearing stuff, you know, when I was growing up about like, well, don't disappoint God or don't, you know, don't embarrass God. You know, like I was his, you know, PR person or something like that. <laughs> don't embarrass him. Um, but this don't idea. Don't embarrass your preacher dad either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't do that. Sometimes my dad said that. So, um, yeah. But this idea of being above reproach, mm. clearly we're called to that. But what does that actually mean since no one is actually perfect? Well, I took the time to actually look it up in the dictionary, okay. Lisa. And. Um, the idea of above reproach is when there is no legitimate, keyword there, accusation that can be placed against you for wrong behavior. Mm-hmm. People can accuse you, but it's not a legitimate accusation of wrong behavior. One of the things that I've realized um, growing up overseas and now coming back to the U.S. is that part of the U.S. thinking pattern is we tend to be binary in our thinking. It's an either or, okay. right or wrong, do or die you know, um, Republican or Democrat. And so in the Christian setting, you're either perfect. Well, it can go two ways. Either you're perfect or you're unqualified as a leader or you're imperfect as a leader. So anything goes and and it's an either or. And when it comes to leadership, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part to parse out and make clear. So it's not a, you're either perfect as a leader or at least you look perfect or you're disqualified not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I think again, it's similarly, you know, if uh, you have to be sinless to be a leader, we're we're in serious <laughs> trouble, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, one of the questions we would often ask leaders uh, as part of the qualification is, "What are you repenting of?" And if they can't think of anything, we know we have a problem mm-hmm. because we know it's not because they're not sinning. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, they must be repenting of something. But um, I, as we look at that, the qualifications, I think there's a mistaken belief that all sins are the same, and they're not. 
uh, that some sins are worse than others. So Jesus said that, you know, if you uh, hate someone or speak evil of your brother, you've committed murder. And that, so that is evil. That's wrong. You should not do it. You should, but at the same time, uh, to speak evil and actually shoot someone, those two things are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And one is far worse, far more damaging. And so I think we have to look at those types of things. There are certain sins that are such a serious nature that they discredit an organization, they discredit the leader, uh, that do disqualify someone. Mm-hmm. But but uh, if we're going to require sinless perfection, we've got a, we've got a serious problem. Yeah. And leaders are called to a higher standard. Yes. Um, and that is part of why what Paul said, you know, be careful wanting to be a leader because you are playing at a higher standard now, which means there's higher consequences. Mm-hmm. So what now are we all forgivable? Yes. Every sin is forgivable, even as a leader. But can I be reinstatable to my position? That's where, like you were saying, Mark, the severity may knock you out of the pastorate or it may not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I think we've gone through a season here in the last couple of years where it seems like we are constantly, and I'm just like, is this just like more leaders are sinning or are we just hearing about it more because mm-hmm. of social media? It's whack. Okay. So, um, but it just seems like, you know, inevitably you look at someone's post or you hear something or someone's blogged about some leader who has been caught out in some kind of sin and is repentant or not repentant or whatever, arguing whether or not this is a a right accusation. And as a result, those of us who sit in pews and read books and do whatever are left to say, do, is this person's ministry credible? What do I do with this? This is a person, maybe this person's works led me to the Lord, or maybe this, I've been discipled through the ministry of this person. What do we do with that? How do we have a right view of that, knowing, Mark, as you said, we're all sinful. It's not like we can find someone who's perfect and just follow them. But what does that look like to examine that rightly and and quite frankly, even be able to reconcile the grief of that kind of a situation. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, again, since it's all sinful, but you're right, there, there are qualifications of leadership. And and so forgiveness is not the same thing as allowing someone to continue in a position. And I think people get very confused about that when uh, a leader falls, does something uh, horribly sinful, and people say, well, well, we should just forgive them, which means keep them in that position. And that is not necessarily true. In fact, I think what the leader can do at that point is model true repentance by accepting the consequences of their sin. What what a great testimony that would be to people if they would see the humility of the leader acting under authority of the other people. So, uh, but as far as the ministry, and you know, again, I've seen this over the years as you have, and I uh, remember one man, his uh, pastor committed adultery, and he's wondering, oh, is this, all this stuff even true? And someone else challenged him to say, okay, did this man save you or did Jesus save you? And you have to keep your focus on on Christ. Just because this man was sinful and did some horrible things does not disqualify the message. And the the Holy Spirit's the one who works here, and he works through sinful, broken people. Mm -hmm. So keep your eyes on Jesus and, uh, um, you know, know that your human leaders are going to fail and sometimes be disqualified. But that doesn't mean the message is false. Focus on the message, not the messenger. Messengers will come and go. The truth stays the truth. Mm. So exactly, Mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Let's talk. I want to back up. Uh, when I introed this segment, I was talking about how last week we talked about how people throw around um, the concept of, of a struggle and struggling with sin. I kind of want to do the same thing with the concept of brokenness, because mm-hmm. I think that's another mm-hmm. catchphrase in Christian circles of like, well, we're all broken and it's just my brokenness talking. And this is just I'm saying this out of brokenness, recognizing that certainly there's brokenness. But when what does it look like to live as a believer in brokenness, also knowing that, and again, I'm going to mess up my um, my reference here. I want to say it's in Matthew. One of you will have to correct me, but the whole idea, unless your uh, holiness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, you won't see me, or you know, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, is another passage. How do we reconcile those two things? I think it goes back again to that binary thinking, Lisa. We're either think we're perfect, or we say we're perfect, or we're broken. Mm-hmm. It's one or the other. Um, I hear it in my field a lot. Well, you know, everybody's dysfunctional because, well, you're either perfect, which we know you're not, Mm -hmm. or you're dysfunctional. No, it's (laughs) not binary. There's people in the middle that are okay. No, Mm -hmm. they're not perfect, but imperfect does not mean dysfunctional. Imperfect does not mean broken to an extent where I'm dysfunctional. And so we've almost glorified this, I'm broken, everybody's dysfunctional, you know, let's all show each other our scabs and our scars. Yes, there's a place for openness and honesty and transparency. That's important. And no, I'm not going to pretend, you know, to be perfect and wonderful and have my act all together. But that doesn't mean that I'm a mess. And so what I, a lot of times I ask people is, okay, what do you mean by brokenness? And they go, uh, well, yeah, well, but, well, I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Anything else that it means? And, and they're not sure. So so I'll put it on you, Lisa. Okay, so when you hear or when you say brokenness, what do you mean? Yeah, I, I think I tend to mean imperfection, but I totally think that what you're saying is correct and that a lot of people will bandy about the term dysfunction as though that's synonymous with that. Mm. And there are yeah, bona fide exactly. dysfunctions that I think we can't just put a Band-Aid on. Yeah, yeah. because it, it's on a continuum. There are people who really are dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. We have a whole manual that classifies what they are. There's some people that are just immature and kind of dumb, but they're benign. Okay. <laughs> they're and then benign. We, have, we have some people that are okay, and we have some people that are pretty healthy. There's a big continuum, a big spectrum here yeah. with that. And even in our Christian walk, we have some people that are really damaged and broken and have been traumatized spiritually mm-hmm. by teaching or just by their own traumas in life. We have some people that are just spiritually dumb and stupid um, and self-centered. We have some people that are spiritually okay. And we do have some spiritually people who are strong and deep. Mm-hmm. No, nobody's at the perfect end, not yet, mm-hmm. not till you get to heaven. But they're strong and they're deep, and so it's a full spectrum of that. Are we all imperfect this side of heaven? Yes. Okay. Now, where else on the spectrum are you? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and also, I think that we, that demand, and it is a demand. God says uh, we are to be holy, even as He is holy, or perfect, even as He is perfect. But that does is that constantly pushes us back to the gospel. We are, you know, again quoted Luther earlier. So going with Luther again, we're simultaneously saints and sinners. And and but we are we are truly, if you're a Christian, you are united to Christ, which means you are holy, blameless, perfect in Christ. That is all absolutely. 100% true. Mm-hmm. And so if we're trying to get our righteousness from our behavior at any point, we're in a sense denying the gospel. It's not like you have to be 
you know, friend of ours, Bill Tell, would often say we, we think of uh, uh, the Christian life as being like an insurance copay. You know, Jesus is, gives you 80% of the holiness, and you got to earn the other 20%. Mm-hmm. It's got to be 100% from Jesus. Now, understanding that, though, I think most Christians don't believe that, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really believe they're righteous in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, but understanding that, then, should lead to a transformation of behavior, is that if I'm righteous in Christ, then I need to live according to my new identity in Christ and the power of the Spirit, which means, then— I'm going to more and more say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And if that is not happening, we have to say, okay, well, why is that not happening? Have I really embraced the gospel? But there's always going to be that struggle, you know, that brokenness. I think brokenness is a great word for talking about some of the damages that we have that just the life and the world do to us. But it cannot be seen as synonymous with sin. Sin is still sin. We need to keep that word in our mm-hmm. vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I don't repent of my brokenness. Yeah. I don't repent of what happened in my family background. Yeah. Uh, I repent of my sin. And that to do that, I have to own that. Some of my brokenness may make it easier for me to sin in a particular way. But the sin is still my choice. And I need to see it as sin and acknowledge it as such. Okay. Well, if we open the Christian sarcastic dictionary again, brokenness is an excuse for leave me alone. I mean, it's, it's, it's an excuse to get me out of jail free card because, well, we're all broken people, so let me off the hook. Right. You know, kind of like that Southern phrase, bless his heart. Right. It, it doesn't mean what it means. There, there's something mm-hmm. else. And so brokenness, a lot of times where I hear it is it's used as an excuse to let me off the hook. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't hold me accountable, please. Right. Yeah. So let's go back to one, whether it's Christian leaders or, quite frankly, just everyday people when it comes to repentance how do we know, like, I mean, there are some leaders out there that have just kept themselves in ministry or they've been, they've denied wrongdoing or they're, you know, they've started other churches, you know, if their own church mm-hmm. has, has let them go or whatever. But then there are some, you know, that probably have openly admitted sin, have repented. But then what does it look like to, can they eventually be reinstated in ministry? Or what is that, does that just mean that now they're done, that was too much, you know, they're... They just have to wait it out until God takes them home. I mean, what do yeah, we do with I, that? I think the, the beauty of that is I think it's why Christians need to be in community. I don't think that's a decision they should be making on their own. And, I and think they can't make it on their own, I would say. Can't. Yeah, yeah, they can't. They do. And I think when they do, I think that shows the problem. Uh, again, I would say that's a sign of a lack of repentance. If you don't have the humility to submit yourself to the church and say, uh, what should I do? Uh, I think I would... I would Frankly, I'd say that's a sign. Do they really get it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so I think, you know, for some cases, I think that would be up to, to make a, a hard and fast rule about anything here. I think it would be very difficult. Um, but I think that's why you have a community of people uh, that, that can help you work through those things. Yeah. Okay. And we talked about the dominoes, you know, the last episode as far as following the dominoes backwards. And with that leader, follow the dominoes backwards. If you are out of official ministry the rest of your life, okay, so what? Mm-hmm. And so often it's, that's my identity. Right. And so I will not let you keep me out of the ministry somehow. I'll go to a different denomination. I'll mm-hmm. go to a different church. Yes. And that's where then the community is so critically important because it will keep me, if I'm willing to let it, in check. Mm-hmm. I can't make that decision on my own as the leader, whether I deserve to be back in or not. Okay. Um, and that's the community. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk again. Let's back it up then practically speaking, because again, we've talked about how like, yeah, shooting someone is Mm -hmm. different, you know, or or obviously, you know, sexual sins, you know, stuff like that, where communities have been hurt, where classes have been hurt, whatever. Um, But 
since we did say all of life is repentance, a la Martin Luther, what I want to make sure we don't go without explaining what that looks like on a Tuesday. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if I just had a thought, am I going to the person in the office next to me? I need to confess. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Every 10 minutes, like what? You know, shoring all this up and stuff. What does it look like to walk in a spirit of repentance throughout the day? Well, I'll go back to the, my compass illustration. And we talked before the broadcast here, a book out several years ago. It was a secular book called Psycho-Cybernetics. Cybernetics, and I'm not a rocket scientist, but this has to do with rockets, (laughs) is that self-corrective program inside a missile that will keep adjusting along the way so it ends up in its right target. And so the idea there was for our life is, yeah, daily I'm making those minor adjustments. Remember, repentance is partially stopping going that direction and going a different direction. So repentance is constantly adjusting where I'm off, whether it's in my thoughts, whether it's in my actions, whether it's whatever it is, so that I'm correcting back on to that goal where I'm going to be like Jesus. So it is a daily thing, and daily it seems awful itty-bitty because those are micro-adjustments sometimes in our lives. Okay, micro-adjustments are easier to make, mm-hmm. but that's what it is to be on a daily basis adjusting and repenting. And add to that, you know, as you're repenting, we have to believe the gospel is true again uh, and, and, and believe that we really are forgiven. So as yes. at least you've heard, quote my friend Bob Flayhart, we'll talk about repent, believe, fight. As we repent of our sins and we have to acknowledge that uh, sin, we, then we have to believe the gospel that I really am forgiven. That this, I, If we don't go there, then we're going to be relating to God on the basis of our works and old uh, English or Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers said, if we retain a shred of legality, it creates a, a mistrust between us and God. Because you're going to give up because you're never going to get it right perfectly. And so you're going to quit. You have to keep going back to grace. But then as we go back to that grace, and then we say the fight has to go back to saying, okay, why did I do this to begin with? Dig a little bit deeper, not just repenting of the behavior, but the motivations. And then saying, I'm going to live by faith, which means... I'm, you know, I'm going to con- seek to control my tongue if that's the issue, or I'm going to seek to, whatever the plan may be. But I'm going to actually fight. I'm going to put. You know, I'm not just going to give in to whatever I feel like doing. Hmm. Okay. Can I bring it personal real quick on yeah. this for me? Yeah. Um, one of the prayers that has come real important for me, and let's see if I can keep a, a clear voice here with it, is God, let me help your love soak in deeper. I know you love me. I, I mean, I have my degree in theology. I'm an ordained minister, too. I know that, okay? But I don't know it. Mm-hmm. I know, and so I want it to soak into me, not theology, but I want the realness to soak into me more today. Mm-hmm. And my prayer tomorrow is going to be, let it soak into me, because I, I really do think we don't really, really, really believe that, Mark. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we do in our heads where it's safe. But if I'm going to have a transformed life, if my life is going to be able to continue making these adjustments and these repentances and actions along the way, it is that, God, let your love push it into me, force it in me. I need to soak it in deeper into me every day for real and a desperateness. Hmm. So that's my own personal story, and that's my personal prayer every day for me. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what what about the person who is not there yet? What about the person who is so consumed with shame, whether it's a, mm. a, a sin they committed at some point or whether it's just patterns of sin or wherever they are? I mean, they're just like, I'm not 
Lisa, this effect, I don't think God loves me. I, I've been told by other people I'm unlovable. I mean, there are people mm. that have gotten scripts from people that they cannot shake, and they have now yeah. put that on God. They have put this defines them. Um, how do people have a right understanding of the difference between sin is what I do and sin is what I am? Well, let me keep with my own story, because where that prayer actually started was a prayer before that. And um, again, I'm a dad. I have two daughters. They're they're grown now. But it was God hold me. And I would sit downstairs. My little office is in the downstairs basement. I have this big you know quilt. I'd throw it around me because I'm real kinesthetic, and so to, to feel that wrap around. Because I remember holding my girls when they were, you know, they fell off their tricycle or something, and they hurt, you know, and they're sniffling, and they're crying, and, and that that I wrapped around them. And if you've ever held a kid, they'll just kind of try to nuzzle into you, and, and you say something real profound and spiritual like, <laughs> and they listen to you, and they calm down. And so part of my journey, because I was one of those people that was convinced absolutely that God, that I'm not lovable. And I learned it from my girls. Hmm. And that was my prayer. I don't know how to do this. I don't believe you, God. I mean, my head does, but yeah, I don't know. Will you hold me? And I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to pray this right. So you do it anyway. And that's for me where it started. Hmm. And that started my healing journey, you know, from that point. And I still pray that prayer now. And I still wrap up in that same quilt God, just hold me. Yeah, it, it, it sounds simple, and I know it's hard. It, it is that for the person covered in shame, one is, is recognizing those who don't feel shame are either they really get the gospel well or they're in denial about their own sinfulness. And I think of more of the latter. And uh, so then what do you do with that shame? The Bible talks more about shame than guilt, and Christ bore our shame. And I think we have to continually come back to that, who we are in Christ, uh, illustration I used uh, the other week is talking to someone is just uh, how, how does God view you? And we tend to think how God views us based on how well we're performing at the moment. And so again, uh, as an old Puritan said, your heart is addicted to salvation by works. You can constantly think God is viewing you through your works instead of through Christ. But here's how God views you. Uh, I, I'm the minister. I'm sitting down at the front of the, the church. This happened just a couple weeks ago. I'm standing next to a man and we get to see the bride coming through the back door. And I'm standing there next to him, and this guy is just, like, bawling. And he's just, he's just amazed. And uh, he, he's just like, he can't believe this woman is marrying him. And I, I turn to him and say, I, I can't believe she's marrying you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just, this is just shocking. And, uh, but he is so enraptured by her. And when Christ looks at us, when the Father looks at us, robed in the righteousness of Christ, that is how he looks at us. So, Live by faith, not by your heart uh, in this sense. Keep telling yourself the truth because the world is telling you a lie, that you're not forgiven, that you have to earn it. The gospel says you are forgiven, you are loved, you are adored. And frankly, that's going to lead to greater holiness in your life than trying to beat yourself up. And if you can't believe that, Lisa, again, after that God hold me prayer, two other prayers came on. And I realize as I get older, my prayers get more simple. Mm-hmm. So it was a God hold me. The second prayer, and Mark, you alluded to this already, God, how do you see me? Mm-hmm. See, I know how I see me. Mm-hmm. I know how other people see me because mm-hmm. they tell me. Mm-hmm. And I know how other people say God is supposed to see me. But God, how do you see me? Mm-hmm. And the third prayer right after that is help me see me like you see me. Mm-hmm. Because I sure don't. Mm-hmm. 
and it was visceral and it was real. It wasn't theology. And so those were my prayers that helped me through my healing journey. Yeah. Well, it's so true because I think so many people will say, and I've had people say this to me before, like, I know God loves me. He says he loves me. But I just think he's usually disappointed in Mm -hmm. me. So kind of that idea of like they put, they make it two different things. But the fact is, if we believe that scripture says that not only has God removed our sins from us, but he has replaced it with Christ's perfect record of righteousness, then it's not... It's not us. It's not our performance. It's entirely because of Christ. My heart and my body needs to believe it, not just my head. Yeah, right. Absolutely. We have to and, live into that. So. And the thing I'd add, that, that's again why we need community. You know, here's mm-hmm. uh, the scripture verse we all ignore is confess your sins one to another. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason we confess our sins one to another is not so that, the reason I'm afraid to do that is I'm afraid I'm going to get more shame. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get more guilt, more shame. And then, uh, and oftentimes when people confess to us, we handle it wrong in this way. Someone confesses, and we go, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. It is bad. And I think we ought to say, ooh, that's bad. Probably may even be worse than you thought. Mm-hmm. But you really are forgiven and loved. And mm-hmm. that's why we announce the gospel uh, to one another and say, this is true. Because if I'm just saying it to myself in my head, I, I'm not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. If you tell it to me, Lisa... I have a better chance of hearing it for being true. Yeah. Such great truths, you guys. Thank you so much for weighing in on this. Um, Okay, again, as I did last week, I want to remind you that here at Focus on the Family, we have a team of licensed professional counselors who are ready to kind of maybe hear where you are right now. It might be something simple that you just need to state, something you're not believing exactly as Tim just said. Um, And you just need that next step to maybe get some healing, get some help in that direction. And uh, even in understanding some of the, the simplest of things as you're maybe hearing some things for the first time here. And so we want you to uh, call us here at Focus on the Family and Boundless, uh, either at uh, 1-800, the letter A and the word family. That's 1-800, the letter A and the word family. Or you can go to focusonthefamily.com slash get help. And that will give you uh, some of the steps that you can take too to get in touch with one of our counselors. We also have a ton of resources, advice, other things you can avail yourself of as well. So, but meanwhile, Tim and Mark, thank you so much for being here today. Great pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. Not just a thing up in the sky to sweep by and by. No, no. Not just a set of pearly gaze of angels with wings. No, it's more.
Well, folks, we're here for this week's culture segment, and we get to welcome back that we were talking here before that it's been a while. Our friend Rhonda Stoppy. Rhonda, great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, man, it was back in the day. Um, in fact, I think we have it on. Uh, it was show episode five ninety where we were talking about um, some stories, hopefully inspiring some of the single young adults in our audience uh, towards marriage uh, with. Um, some stories that you have, some of which you put in Real Life Romance, your book, um, but really just showing how God can, God's in the business of making great matches. And he does that in many different ways. And so um, folks, we're back and we're going to talk to Rhonda today. Uh, Actually, she had, this is something that we found here at Boundless. She had written an article a while back on 10 Christian dating advice tips to pursue a godly relationship. And this was just like last year, I think you wrote this article. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so we read it and we're always, um, in fact, uh, Rhonda spoke here at Focus on the Family this morning and she was talking about the need for mentors and how everyone needs to have a mentor. And whether you are single or married, a mom or dad, whatever, you got to have people who are a few steps ahead of you on the road who can help you with your own journey. And so we're going to talk today with you, Rhonda, about a few of your tips. Having been married, how long now? be 41 years oh my goodness Mm -hmm. okay well she was she was sharing her age with us this morning but she doesn't look it so it's It's all all hair uh, color and makeup it's all it's all good yes okay well let's go ahead and start because you kind of share in the article itself you actually share a story about a woman who was struggling to find someone to date who would be a good fit and it was, you know, online and whatnot. And some of the, you know, that could be an abyss of, of whatever I myself have done online dating several times um, with mixed results. But you, you kind of share her story and some of the struggles that she had in that and some of the surprising outcomes of just trying to find love in today's day and age. And what were some of the things that you brought out in that? Well, in her story, she said, I finally was like, I'm gonna go on online, you know, I don't know what the statistics are. I should have looked it up. But in churches, there's not a ton of singles, unless it's a really massive church with a massive singles program. Mm-hmm. There's a few singles here and a few singles there. And there's some single moms and there's some divorced ladies. And then there's the college girl that didn't go away to college. And she works in children's ministries. Yay for her. <laughs> but when they want to meet somebody, they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And so this young woman had said, I'm going to try the online Christian dating. She did. You know, you look at the profiles and some of these guys have the most amazing, you know, all the right answers fill in the blank. But what she found was so many of them when she would go out with them were pressuring her for sex. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of devastating to her because here these, you know, the profile is really something that these people were not. And she wanted a godly spouse. She was looking for a husband that she could trust with her future that was, you know, loving the Lord. My husband's a pastor. And whenever someone's getting engaged, he'll ask my niece's getting married next month. And she said, uncle, I want you to do the wedding. And he doesn't know this guy. And he said, tell me, does he love Jesus more than he loves you? Mm-hmm. And Miranda said, yes, he does. And Steve's like, okay. <laughs> and that's what Christian women should be looking for. Because, yeah. you know, if they love God more than they love you, that's the first commandment is love God with all your being. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, but you can't love someone properly 
with God's love unless you're loving God properly and then his love spills out. So I think a lot of women don't know how to find the guy, and but there are evidences this guy is not walking in the spirit. This guy may not even truly be a born-again believer if he's going to pressure me for something that I know that's not what I want before marriage. Yeah. And it seems like so many single young adults, when they're going into the process of dating, it I, I say going into the process of dating like it's something that everyone thinks of beforehand. <laughs> and the fact is they don't. Okay. So many will go, whether it's online or whether they're going to try a new church and maybe be like, okay, well, let me try a new small group or a new singles group. They kind of approach dating like it's going to hit them like the flu, you know, and (laughs) I just hope I'm just going to go to this event and maybe I'll meet someone and it'll be amazing. Or, you know, my personal approach in my 20s was like, I'm just going to sit in a Starbucks and I'll lock eyes with a a guy across the room and it'll be amazing. So that did not happen. But here we go. Um, (laughs) But I do have to say Susan Gosselin's story is in my book, Real Life Romance, and it was in a coffee (laughs) shop. Yeah. That's because she was wearing one of those wordless bracelets. Yes. She was just like a magnet of like, oh my goodness, you must know Jesus. So that is very true. Yes, Suzanne, we love her. Okay. But um, one of the things you talk about in the article is the need for all of us, whether men or women, because we're talking to both here, to evaluate motives yes. in dating. Mm-hmm. Why, rather than just be like, oh, maybe it's time to start dating or maybe I'll dabble in dating, to figure out why are you dating in the first place and what's your advice to the person to think that through from the get-go? It's an interesting thing because you're right. All of a sudden, it's just like they feel lonely or all their friends around them are getting married or engaged or have their special someone. And they're like, I guess I should, too. Or, you know, it's their turn again and their turn again. When is it going to be my turn? Mm -hmm. And I think finding what is my motive for wanting to be married? Mm -hmm. First of all, if you're looking for a savior, you're not going to find it in Mr. Mm -hmm. or Mrs. Wright. Mm -hmm. Uh, That stinking line from that movie, You Complete Me, Mm -hmm. is the worst line of all time. (laughs) Because if you're looking for a person to complete you, they're going to let you down. And you're not going to measure up to their expectations either. Uh, I I tell a story in my book about my son, Brandon and Jesse. Brandon was... um, he went to Cal Baptist University, and then he was working in the college ministry. He was a worship pastor, and uh, he kind of wanted to find somebody, and there was nobody at college. Like, everybody at college was just not the, what he was looking for, but there was a girl at his church, and it was Jesse. And it's so fun to hear how their story unfolds because they kept getting mixed signals and all of that stuff. Um, it, at one point, she's just a little bit shorter than him, and she said, I kicked off my shoes, and I just stood in the back of the room. After college group was over, hoping he'd come talk to me and see that I'm not taller than him. <laughs> nice. And their story unfolds that they found each other, and it's a great story. But there's another story about Allison and Sean. Allison was a single mom. She had made some bad decisions, grew up in a Christian home, made bad decisions, finally walking with the Lord, and just, I'm just going to single mom raise my son. Sean was a womanizer, didn't know the Lord, didn't care to, driving down an L.A. freeway, heard the gospel on the radio. I'm going to cry. He pulled over weeping over his sin and he gave his heart to Christ Hmm. and he didn't know what to do from there. And some woman at work said, Hey, it's Easter Sunday. You should come to our church. And he did. And he saw Allison and she was on stage singing her heart out. And he was like, wow, he just got saved. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at her going, Oh, she could help me be the Christian guy I want to be. But they, as they, you know, in same small groups together, you know, finding they had the same conversations here or there. They went to a pastor and they said, we're kind of interested in each other, but we want to make sure our motives are right. Mm -hmm. And this pastor was wise and said, you know, she's working on 
following the Lord and raising her child and working on some of the stuff that she had to turn from. You're a new believer. You need to grow in your faith. And they listened. And it was about a year and a half of them just being friends, groups of people together, but not dating each other. And that same pastor at some point said, I think you guys should go out on a date. Hmm. And they've been married for 20 years now, and it's a great love story. Uh, But I think sometimes we need someone outside to help us even evaluate our own motives. Mm -hmm. Because we get emotionally, we get in our heads. We, what's wrong with me? Why, yeah. why, why does nobody want to date me? What's wrong with me? And having somebody that kind of speaks truth into your life helps you see God's timing is perfect, his providence. But yet, go talk to that person. Go walk up to that person and talk to them. And just asking the Lord for discernment while you're visiting with people. Because God's more interested in writing your love story than even you are. Yeah, because it look it seems like too often we're looking to externals. It's either going to be a timeline of like, oh, I'm in my late 20s or my early 30s, so it's just time. And we might not be in a place, as you illustrated, whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally. Maybe we have some stuff from our past we still have to deal with. Maybe we have to decide what our non-negotiables are. You know, too many single young adults are like, oh, okay, well, I've got, you know, I certainly know what uh, what height guy I want to date or, you know, that I know what music I want him to like. But then they're not <laughs> totally sure what questions to ask to make sure he's a, a solid disciple of Christ or that he's got other things in place. Um, and then making sure that you too are in a position to marry so that you can kind of Take the ball down the field, y'all, and not just go on, as I often say here on Boundless, nine years of pizza dates. Um, (laughs) Because some people get caught in this vortex of that happening. So, okay, you had referenced some bad decisions. I think a lot of people will think of dating as in, okay, well, I need to be careful. I got to set up boundaries because, you know, I don't want to just end up, uh, I'm a Christian. I don't want to just have sex with a guy and end up pregnant. You know, and they they have some kind of like weird black and white Uh end goal to that. But your argument in the article that we're talking about, which again is 10 Christian dating advice tips to pursue a godly relationship, um, you're saying that it, it begins long before we're talking about physical boundaries. You talk about mental and spiritual, emotional purity. Talk to us about what people are like. Uh, what, what do you mean, Rhonda? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've been married for almost 41 years. I mm-hmm. married my high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And um, I trust that man to lead me. I follow him because I know he follows Christ. Mm-hmm. And when you're just looking for that guy who looks hot in those jeans or that girl who can, you know, I was gonna say rock those skinny jeans, but I guess that's <laughs> out now. So excuse me, the bell bottoms They'll or big back. leg, I yeah, mean, wide leg. Cyclical, whatever. <laughs> but if you're just focusing on how they make you feel, mm-hmm. and, and here's an interesting thing. A lot of times they'll say, when a man says, I love her, what he means is, I like the way I feel about myself when I'm with her. Mm-hmm. And when a woman says, I love him, it's because I, I love him and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stalk him until he knows <laughs> me and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's finding a way to say, Lord, I want a ministry mate. I want someone who I can walk through this life together Raising kids is like an incredible ministry to which God has called us. And you're looking at this guy going, is he going to be a good dad? Is he going to be someone who's going to, I can trust him Mm -hmm. with our family and not perfect, but maturing. Mm -hmm. And I think when you find someone who's willing to take advice from other mature believers, you're looking at somebody that you can trust Mm -hmm. and that you can possibly spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. 
That's so good. And it's so necessary to decide on the front end of a relationship. Yeah, what you don't wait until you're really into someone like Rhonda's saying, you know, before you're like, oh, I better uh, think about what my parameters are here in this relationship. Or maybe I better think about having a conversation with them about like the first woman you mentioned, you know, someone you meet online, and all of a sudden, you're like, what do you think about premarital sex? What do you think? I mean, asking big questions, it's important to know those um, from the get go. Well, that kind of um, dovetails into my next question for you, Rhonda, because you actually share a story of a guy that you dated, which uh, your hubster was your high school sweetheart. So I don't know when you dated this guy. <laughs> this was like when you were in fourth grade or something. I don't know. But anyway, all that to say, you realized pretty quickly that um, there are just sometimes when you realize this is not a good fit. Mm-hmm. This is not a good match. This is going nowhere where this is going in the wrong direction. What are some signs that we can see that that is exactly the case? Because there's some, everyone's going to grow. Yes. Everyone's going to mature. You're not going to marry a finished product. And and let's talk about that. Because women think, I want to be married to that guy who in my church is a 30-year-old youth pastor, and I want to be married to him. Right. He's matured. He's not 18. He's not 19. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Or, yeah, or they think that they need to find out, they're going to determine or learn everything that they can about a person before they even marry them. That's called stock. What are you going to do? What are you going to do the rest of your life together? I don't know about that, but it's true. Okay, but share your story about what. How did you realize this guy was a no go? Well, so I was crazy about my husband from the time I was in high school. He was um, out of college, and he and I were not dating because I was too young, and we were family friends, and that's a whole fun story, and it's in one of my books. But there was a young man that I had a huge crush on, you know, and he's the boy everybody would have wanted to be with, and and he wanted to be with me. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to be pure. I knew I did not want to have sex before marriage. But I remember one night he and I were having a major makeout session. And I knew I was in over my head. And I was like, praying, Lord, I don't know what to do, because I know this is just going too far. And I don't want to be that girl. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I realized, this is how girls go farther than they meant to. Because, you know, I just spoke at a conference called Choose Wisely. And I talked about girls just want to have fun. But what does the Bible say? Because women think they can play with fire and stop. And what I say is, it's all sex. It's all foreplay. It was all created by God for the marriage bed. But what singles do is they mess around and they think they're going to do all the things and then stop right before it comes to intercourse. But their bodies are believing we're preparing for sex. And at some point, they cross over that line. And the more you date, the longer you date. Anyway, when I was in this situation with this young man, I remember just being like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the phone rang in my bedroom. I was living with my parents. They were in bed. I ran in to get the phone. Steve was calling late at night, and my husband now, and just saying, well, how are you doing? Who's over there? Is so-and-so there? What are you doing? Are your parents asleep? I'm like, yeah. And he said, you stay on the phone with me till he cools off until he goes home. Like, he did not know he was protecting the virginity of the woman he was going to one day marry. But thank God, I didn't know. I wasn't equipped ahead of time to say, I'm not going to even let this happen. I'm going to stop it before I get in that place of letting it go farther than I meant to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, okay, so that's a good point. And let's talk, I mean, that is just wisdom right there. But let's talk a little bit about what you were alluding to before, because I do want to go here as well. This idea that... um, it's okay. I mean, this guy is making some bad decisions now. This guy is maybe he's not respecting my boundaries. Maybe he's not whatever. But that's okay because we're young, and I'm sure you know someday he's going to be a pastor and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a difference between like 
you know, recognizing trajectory, which is important. You're not going to marry some, you know, amazing godly guy. I always say here at Boundless, you know, for the women that think they're going to marry John Piper, John Piper (laughs) wasn't John Piper when he was 22. Exactly. So remember that. Mm -hmm. That said, um, you know, so we, we don't want to, we don't want to look for perfection, but we also don't want to take on a project. So how do we know that a guy is really moving in the right direction, maybe rougher on the edges, but you know, at least is heading in a great place and has his heart in the right place. Does he love the word? Will he talk to you about what he's learning from the word? Mm -hmm. Will he share with you the burdens that he has on his heart? Will he talk about areas that he knows he wants to grow? Uh, You know, pornography, huge, right? Mm -hmm. Huge thing among young men. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them opened that door when they were in junior high. Mm -hmm. And they had no idea that what you feed your flesh, your flesh will crave. Mm -hmm. So even when they try to close that door, it's a huge struggle. Are they looking for counsel? Are they asking for help in those areas? Uh, I feel like that's a safe place to say, this person is someone I can trust. This person is someone we can move farther down in this relationship. Same thing with a guy talking to a girl. It's like if, if she's looking for you to be her savior, you are never going to measure up to those expectations because God created us to long for a savior, but it ain't you. Mm -hmm. And so if she's all about you making her feel the feels, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean not making her feel pretty and making her feel loved, but if you are her, you know, all in all, you need to rethink, is that the relationship or do we need to get counseling so we can even talk about this? I think that is, you know, go out to coffee with a couple and say, hey, let's talk about how it's going with us. Yeah. Okay, make a there's one uh, there's a question I want to finish our conversation with about your own marriage and what you've learned, but I want you to make a quick comment about kindness because you mentioned that in the article. I think that is way overlooked in relationships. We're always looking for someone to be hilarious or amazing or brilliant or maybe have money, whatever. Um look, you know, who knows, but but the importance of kindness, how do we observe that in someone? How do we know it's real? What are those kind of signs that we should be looking for? It's a fruit of the spirit, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control, and all the others that go along with that. If you want a spiritual leader, and, and I'm telling you, after 40 years of marriage, you want a spiritual leader. And see, you think you're going to be all that, and you're going to be like their answer to all their happiness. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're mm-hmm. going to let them down. And there's going to be things that you're going to want them to have a relationship with Christ, to be filled with the spirit, so that they can love you with God's agape love when you're not lovable. Mm-hmm. Kindness is a reflection of Christ's character. Are they kind to the person at the grocery store or the person who messed up their coffee? Mm -hmm. Are they kind to their mom or to their, you know, father? Do they have issues where they hate their mom or they hate their dad? Those are unresolved issues that result in unkindness. And that is something that you want to have an awareness to say, hey, let's talk about, you know, have you forgiven your dad? Have you forgiven your mom? Because what a man thinks on is what he becomes. If I'm dwelling on, I'm not going to be like my dad, you know, this, this, or this, you're still dwelling on it. You might just become that same, you know, the guy you're dating might become the dad that he hates. Uh, Our oldest son didn't come to our family till he was 15. And my husband said with him, the things that you're struggling with, if you don't forgive, whether that your father ever asks or not, you 
might likely become that. Mm -hmm. Kindness is a reflection of God's character. And I feel like it's a very easy thing if you spend time in a community with other people just to see is their natural response kindness. That's good. And even recognizing, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are going to run from people or from situations. And I always say it's a red flag if the person that you're dating is like, I just can't wait to get married because I want to get away from my family or I want to get away. You know, I mean, again, what are they doing with the relationships they have in their life right Mm -hmm. now? That's so Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a question that I love asking uh, married guests when they are here with us in the studio. And I've asked a number of of different folks this, this question. So as someone who now has been married decades, as you said, (laughs) Rhonda, um, give us what's something that you wish you would have been more prepared for in marriage? Like, had you been able to, you know, if you could dial it back, um, back to pre-marriage, what do you wish you could have been more prepared for or, or worked on a little more ahead of time? And then what's just something unexpectedly awesome in marriage that you weren't prepared for that is just a blessing that you're so grateful for? I don't think I realized how selfish I was, how self-absorbed. I was raised, you know, to find Prince Charming Mm -hmm. and don't settle for sleepy or dopey or Mm -hmm. snoopy, you know, and you deserve that. Mm -hmm. So you work hard to find somebody that's going to treat you like a princess. And man, that runs deep. That Mm -hmm. is in there. And whenever I was married, you start realizing your selfishness is truly undermining how you feel about your spouse if they're not treating you the way you think you deserve to be treated. Mm -hmm. So coming to the um, realization of that, and then I thought I was okay until I had kids, and then I was selfish all over again. I was like, (laughs) oh, I can't sleep at night. I'm mad at you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Something that I love is that Steve and I have been ministry mates. He was in youth ministry. He was in construction. We flipped houses. We had a fun story. Um, And he was always working with youth for 18 years. He's been a senior pastor for 22 years. And one of my favorite stories that I like to tell at a Christian singles event is uh, one that my my son, Tony, who was a fighter pilot in the Air Force, when he was in college— at A&M University. He was the head of his platoon, and it's like the ROTC program to prep you for the military. And he was the head of his unit. And the unit would run and have to like have a full pack on, guns overhead, get over the finish line, and that time counted. But there was a girl in their unit that always fell behind. And the whole unit would get across the line, but their time wouldn't count until she crossed over the line. So morale was low. Why do we have to have this girl in our unit? So Tony had to figure it out. So he would fall back, and he would run with his hand in the small of her back. Mm -hmm. And he said, as long as I had my hand in the small of her back, she would keep in step. We'd keep our eyes on the end the prize, and we would run together, and we would all finish on time. Mm -hmm. When I pulled my hand back, she fell behind. And I love the picture of that story because God calls us that we are running a race that he has set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And if you're running long and hard with your passion and your goal on pursuing Christ, and there's a man's hand in the small of your back, or if you're a man, you find that you have your hand in the small of a woman's back as you minister together, that just might be the one that God wants you to spend life with. Mm-hmm. I didn't marry a pastor. I married a, con- a contractor who had made a lot of money, <laughs> and all of a sudden I became a poor pastor's wife. But man, what a joy to serve Christ together these 40 years with his hand in the small of my back. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. 
Well, um, folks, we are, I mean, I should have told you this at the get-go, but we have the article that we've been talking about linked uh, here on the show notes. And also, I want to make you aware of um, Rhonda's book, uh, we referenced it a couple times, titled Real Life Romance, Inspiring Stories to Help You Believe in True Love. Some of us need to need to be there or need to re-believe in it. <laughs> um, we want to make that available to you uh, this week for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So you just go to boundless.org. In fact, you could search for 741. That is this week's episode. And you'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless, anything that you can afford. And we want to send you a copy of Rhonda's book as our thank you to you. And again, it might be. I mean, we came, you know, we came off of Valentine's Day. Some of you were depressed off of that. You're heading, we're heading into wedding season. You're <laughs> depressed about that. I mean, it's just like maybe you need to be inspired with some real life romances, including, as Rhonda said, our own. Suzanne Gosselin's story. So that's a, a fun one to read as well. So Rhonda, thank you so much for and coming in quick, and pouring in. If yeah. you go to my website, noregretswoman.com, and you click on the book, Real Life Romance, you can scroll down and see videos of about a dozen of the couples in the book oh. telling their love story. And it's oh, super very fun. fun. That's awesome. So. And mine and Steve's are the first, and we can't remember the story. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much Thanks. for joining us my today. My pleasure. Super been so great. much fun. When I was a kid, I was sure. I could run across the ocean Now I was gonna be an astronaut But it was you and it was me I had everything I needed Faith could even move a mountaintop And then I grew up And then I got older And my life got tough And we grew apart folks. Well, as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox as we often do. And these are questions that you have sent in that you would like one of our experts to answer. And today we have Pastor Mark Bates here. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. All right. So this is both a theological and a dating question. So you have to marry the two (laughs) and give insight here as far as this goes. But you have many, many years of premarital counseling, relational stuff. So I think you're going to be able to do it. Our listener says, I recently broke up with my boyfriend whom I met at church. We had a good relationship and he comes from a good family who also attended our church. Soon into the relationship, I found out that both he and his family hold to 
open theism beliefs. Under my mentor's counsel, I quickly broke off the relationship and made it clear to him that this belief difference between us was a big issue. He didn't seem to see the difference in beliefs as a big deal. He and his family continue to hold leadership positions in the church, even though the pastor has been informed of their beliefs. My mentor wants me to consider moving to a different church, ideally one with doctrinally sound leadership, but I don't want to start over at a new church after it took me so long to settle into this one. What should I do? <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's only like five questions in yeah, there. Yeah, so. only five. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is I'm gl- so delighted she's talking to a mentor. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's good. And it sounds like mentors actually giving very good advice. So first of all, open theism, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's the whole idea that, that, that the future is open even to God, that God doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. In fact, the future it's not determined. And so so God ultimately then is not omniscient, and God ultimately then, of course, is then not in control because he doesn't even know what's going to happen. He's more reactive hmm. than he is in control. And why this is such a big deal is, is because what you believe about God will determine how you approach all of life. And so there is, is a God. He has an identity. He has a characteristic. And, and if to ascribe something to him that is false about him means you don't know the true God. And this is a pretty essential characteristic of God that he knows all things. The reason this is important is is you're trusting God with your life. And if God doesn't know what's going to happen, if God is not in control of the future, then you are pretty much on your own in the world. And that sort of God, my question would be, for, is he worthy of your worship? You're all alone. To know that when you pray that, that God is able to see your prayers come true, to know that, that God has your future mapped out, that it's not uncertain to him, to know that God is in control of all things is what gives us security in an unstable world, uh, particularly when tragedy happens, when crisis happens, when good things happen. So I think it is a serious issue, uh, and I think the counselor is giving good advice in about the church. Theology matters because bad theology hurts people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, you, how far down do you drill on that? There's some places you might disagree, like, you know, one person believes in the millennium's a thousand, you know, it's, and, and again, I think those have some practical consequences, but there are areas where, you know, I think it's, disagreement is, uh, is okay. But even here, I think as you think about who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, uh, alignment on theological issues is, uh, is, is pretty important, uh, particularly around truth. Again, truth matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, and it's so weird. I mean, when I first read this, it seems kind of tricky because it's not saying that like all of the leadership at our church, you know, ascribes to this, but if they've been made aware of it and they're not addressing it, especially right. something that would be that divisive, you know, necessarily, it could be cause for concern, but poor thing. I mean, it's yeah. so hard to find a great oh, church. Man. and it, Yeah, because yeah, your church is like a family and you have mm-hmm. those relationships there. And so you don't want to take, it's not like you're just going to hear a lecture, you know, or sing songs. You could do that at home. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the, the job of church leaders is, are to guard the flock. Mm-hmm. And, and so here there is false teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just about every evangelical church would affirm this is false teaching. And they are allowing it in their leadership. And I'd say they're not guarding the flock properly. And that's their responsibility. So I, I think that's why uh, with much tears and sadness uh, that finding another church is probably well, I'd say more than probably is something she needs to do. Yeah. Well, good thoughts and good advice. Thank you so much for weighing in on that. 
All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org. And maybe you can submit a question that we can answer in the future. Or you can just let us know your thoughts on a recent episode or maybe a question we've answered in the past. You can also go to boundless.org and search anything that we've answered in the past because there's probably stuff there uh, that maybe you would have questions about that we have addressed with a number uh, of our experts and whatnot. So um, go ahead and check that out. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.